Welcome to the Design the Future podcast, where we talk with women leading the way toward the better built world. Design the Future is hosted by me, Lindsay Baker, with Kira Gould. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. We're back for another week. We're excited to be here. It's always lovely uh, getting the opportunity to do this. And this is Lindsay. And this is Kira. And yeah, I'm just, you know, happy to be in sisterhood with you today. Kira, how are you? That's great. That's so nice to hear. Thank you, Uh, Lindsay. Yeah, yeah. These things matter, you know, especially now, but always they matter. Just wanted to start off with that. Thank you. I've been looking forward to this conversation and I I look forward to these every time. Um, It's been, I mean... I've said it before, but I'll say it again. It's been such a great uh, thing to have in my regular week. And all these conversations have been incredibly inspiring and restoring. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. It's And it's feeling like quite a library of conversations now, which is mm-hmm. really fun. For those of you that are, are newer listeners, we're excited to have you. It's been, it's fun to know that, that this podcast sort of uh, developing a bit of a community out there and that people are finding it to be helpful. And I don't know, just to like know what everybody else is doing, hear your voices, yes. <laughs> all of that. It's been fun. So thanks for all the feedback to everyone that has reached out. It's always great. Yeah. Um, really, yeah. I feel like the topics are starting to, there's a sort of a richness, that library of conversations that you reference. there's sort of a richness too, because we're starting to sort of go deeper into certain topics um, and they're coming back around, you know, things are coming back around with the next guests and things like that. So I'm, I'm really enjoying that sort of, I guess that's a year two layer that we're now <laughs> experiencing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, um, it is. It's, it's getting to be almost a year. We will probably have to celebrate that formally at some point. Uh, point. <laughs> <laughs> not, I haven't been able to keep track of time very well these days, but uh, <laughs> somewhere we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, and I agree. I mean, it's um, it's been interesting to see. I think we didn't approach this with the attitude of having specific topics we wanted to address. Um, and in some ways, I think the fact that our, so the, the theme of the podcast being focused around women's leadership and feminine leadership has been so broad that I feel like we've gotten to tackle so many of the issues that our industry is facing pretty head on because one way or another, there's a fabulous woman tackling pretty much everything that needs to get done, you know, <laughs> so it's, uh, yeah. it's cool that way. I, I, I hadn't entirely anticipated that we'd be able to really, um, you know, cover that in the, in the way that we have, but yeah. um, I'm proud of that. I'm pretty excited about it so far. So, yeah, you know, exciting. if you're listening and you feel like we haven't covered a topic, feel free to reach out and tell us what you think that topic should be even if you don't know a woman that may be working on it, because we can always do some sleuthing and find out. I'm sure there is someone. (laughs) That's right. That's right. That's a good point. Yeah. What else has been going on for you? Anything fun? Um, Anything fun? (laughs) That's a hard question these days. (laughs) That's a tough ask. Anything fun at all? Have you watched anything good? Oh, yeah. Anything? Have you had anything good to eat? (laughs) (laughs) There's always the good food. 
Yes, yeah. I, well, I did it. Yes, I, I came off of a month of no refined sugar and so had to make, we've been doing oh. some lately. <laughs> yes, good. All right. That's right. I remember you were doing that. Um, how, how did it feel? Was it great. good? Yeah. It was great to be off of it. I'm not sure it's great to be back on it. I think if anything, my month off of it uh, pointed out how much there is in our lives of that and how little I actually needed it. Um. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, I agree. Um, the one time I did like the whole 30 a few years ago, it was it was pretty eye opening. But honestly, I remember coming out of it and thinking the thing I got out most was proving to myself that I was capable of that level of willpower. And that was pretty yep. much that was mostly it for me. Uh, I that's not it's not my style to like really, um, you know, do these kinds of interventions in my life that much. And I I feel yeah, like that will, was the you're thing. right, though. A willpower exercise is an important thing in and of itself, for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was it was helpful. It's, it's um, it, now I know if I need to, I can do that. I can pull it off. For sure. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, that's good. I'm glad. I'm glad that it went well. We are. I think apparently all this is happening to a lot of people right now. I'm pretty bored with the food that I am eating. Maybe yeah. I should have done something like a a reset of some kind because. It's become that stage, I suppose, and uh, we, we mostly cook. We don't go out or take, get a, a lot of takeout. So we're just kind of tired of like the things that we know how to cook. And yep. we're, we're cooks. We're both really like we cook a lot. So that's yep. saying a lot. Like we, we're, we're hardcore, <laughs> but it's still just getting to that point. Um, yeah, where... No, I, I hear you. We are cooks too, and we are in a rut with all the meals. I mean, pretty much if I could just skip it. I would. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it leads me to probably too much eating of nachos, which, uh, you know, um, my, my partner refers to as my single lady meal. Uh, that's a thing. Uh, <laughs> I used to eat a lot more when I was single. have too many nachos, in my opinion. So Agreed. That. Agreed. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Uh, well, um, let's let's move on to something that will be far more exciting than the things that we force ourselves to uh, eat these <laughs> days. Um, we're so delighted this week that we have Danielle Horton with us as our guest. Uh, it's going to be a super fun episode. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here today. And thank you. Yeah, we're excited we to have you. Yeah, we're thrilled you could join us. I'm going to give a brief intro and then we'll jump into some questions. Um, Architect Daniel Horton has 23 years of experience in corporate sustainability, real estate, and project management. She's a lead fellow, a certified energy manager, and a licensed architect, and has a master in master's in sustainable development from Harvard. She runs Verdani Partners, which manages sustainability efforts for national and international real estate firms. Her company engages real estate portfolios with more than 4,000 properties and some 720 million square feet. Uh, Danielle also launched a nonprofit organization called Verdani Institute for the Built Environment with the fun acronym of VIBE and teaches sustainable real estate at the University of San Diego. We're so glad you're here, Danielle, and I'm hoping that you can kick us off by telling us about how and why you got involved in both architecture and then in sustainability. Just really what has been your path? Sounds great, and I'm so excited to to be here today. Um, I've been very very blessed to like grew up in Brazil, and I think that my early childhood influenced a lot of like who I am today. 
I grew up with a vegan dad and in constant contact with nature from camping, going to hikes, spending summers in a farm and exploring underground caves. So um, we used to camp like every year on a nearby river basin. And I remember that, you know, when I was seven years old, um, there's a lot of pollution already in portions of it. So I remember seeing it and it was like, I wanted to do something about it, you know? So I remember mobilizing my cousins and friends to start cleaning up um, during a family vacation. So I think that, you know, it's kind of part of personality when I see something wrong or something that needs to be fixed, I want to do something about it. Um, I think the conversion stuff like, you know, sustainability with architecture. I also, I'm a very creative person and love drawing. So I think from, from as early as 13 years old, I decided that I wanted to become an architect. Um, and, um, you know, I pursued that career path. And I remember in Brazil, uh, when I was working as an architect, um, I worked on a low-income four-story shopping mall using passive design strategies and no HVAC because they couldn't afford HVAC systems. So I learned from kind of early, from early in my career to really work with nature to understand, um, you know, prevailing winds and things to, to right, minimize waste. And so I, when I, you know, when I, when I came here, I, I came with that mindset, not only from like the environmental perspective, but the architecture and design. So I worked as an architect for about seven years before pursuing a master's in sustainable development. And I joined a, a full service of real estate firm as their head of sustainability, which I think uh, you know, switching from architecture, I wanted to have a bigger impact. I felt like I was spending too much time working on a, just a one building, one project, and I wanted to to make a bigger impact. So, um, my you know master's degree was very eye opening, and I was able to, you know, take classes at MIT also and do like global carbon simulations, which were very like you know gave me a really great sense of urgency as well in terms of what we're doing and uh, kind of you know, potentially leading ourselves toward extinction and we really need to do something about it. It's an urgent uh, thing. So at Thomas Properties Group, initially I felt like going to the, the dark side by joining a, a real estate firm, but I also felt like we could have a big impact, make a big impact by kind of changing the industry, by showing that you can have, you know, you can, you can have sustainable properties that are also more profitable and can add value. So I spent almost 10 years um, Thomas Properties Group. And when I started, we had one green building and I helped them lead certify their entire portfolio. And, you know, we also earned the number one ranking on GRES, which is Global Real Estate Sustainability Benchmark for three years in a row. And so I think after that, um, I started my own consulting firm in order to continue to scale those efforts to, you know, more uh, real estate organizations. And to be able to help other, you know, real estate portfolios with their corporate ESG programs, so that we could continue to making an even bigger impact. That's great. Um, you know, I'm I'm so interested to hear that you mention impact as what was sort of driving your path, and I'm sure that's also, you know, something that a lot of young people are thinking about now as they begin to chart their path. And I'm wondering, I know that you have been hiring recently at Verdani, and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about the kinds of people you hire and what you look for. Yeah, we, you know, we're a mission-driven organization. So I think for us, the most important thing that we look for are folks that are passionate about sustainability and that has, has shared values. Because even like being in real estate, I felt like I was like, 
swimming against the wave every day and you have to be really motivated to be able to not only do this work but kind of you have to like motivate others to follow suit so i think that the passion for sustainability is you know it's really critical and we feel very really blessed that you know i think many of the challenges that we're facing right now are increasing the demand for ESG services so we're really grateful to be able to grow during these difficult times um yeah just in the past three months we hired almost 10 10 employees and we um we're trying to go slowly and organically, but we expect that that growth is going to continue. So we're, we're really excited about that. That is awesome to hear, Danielle. And, and I, you know, honestly, like having built teams myself, I feel like that that opportunity to hire people and to think about how to help people into their careers. Um, I know it's something that we both have a passion for. And, and so um, I'm excited to hear you talk a little bit more about that. And I, I want to ask you the next question. You don't have to talk about this part, but um, what are you most proud of accomplishing in your work life? And I, I hope at least some of it is about all of the people that you've managed to help you know, bring up in, in, in the world. But uh, tell us how you think about that. What, what are the highlights for you? Yeah, I mean, when I, I think looking back, you know, I'm a woman, a minority, an immigrant, I, I moved to the US alone. Um, and like, I didn't have much money. So I, I'm very proud. Of, and I think the thing that I'm most proud of is starting with many partners and growing to a successful business. We all have almost 40 employees now. And, you know, I think coming from Brazil, which is a fairly conservative and patriarchal, you know, country, and, you know, sub- subsequently, Moving to the US, I've also faced a lot of the challenges that many women face in the workplace from misogyny and harassment, corporate environment that's not flexible for working parents. And, you know, I always knew that we could do better. So I think I'm really proud of starting Verdani because I also wanted to create a workplace that was focused on performance and results, but that also gives flexibility to for our teams to you know achieve their career goals without sacrificing their personal ones and i think especially for women you know sometimes our you know our biggest like career years are also you know if you align with your biological clock if you want to start a family so i wanted to make sure that um, we could create a type of environment that would allow you know both men and women to try but i know like uh, women face bigger challenges. And I think even right now with the pandemic, a lot of women are leaving the workforce in droves. So I think that is really important to me to create that flexibility. So I'm very proud that, you know, that we have almost 40 employees and 83% of our staff in professional positions are women and people of color. Uh, we're actually currently looking for like a new office space. And I'm I'm really hoping that we can include both a daycare and like, you know, like uh, some kindergarten for puppies as well. So many of our team members have adopted puppies. So I want to be able to create an environment that, you know, they can, you know, bring them to work and we can support them, um, you know, in, in uh, while they go through those very important journeys of their, their personal lives as well. My God, a daycare for puppies sounds amazing. I love that that's something you're thinking about. That is yeah. very generous. I, I think the kids and the puppies would love to interact too and you yeah. know, spend some time together while their parents get save the world. Oh my gosh. I love that. I love that that's a part of what you think about in your professional life. And I totally am behind it. I think that is that's absolutely the kind of stuff that that matters. And that is, I think, part of the role, you know, of, of, um, of being a leader. So yeah, Absolutely. that's super cool. 
Thank yeah. you. Um, all right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the work. Um, I am curious to hear your thoughts. You talked a little bit about, you know, the going over to the dark side of real estate ownership, but how it is, you know, where we make these big impacts at scale. And I wanted to hear you talk a little bit more about that and maybe the specific entry point here is just talk about the role of real estate in achieving these broader climate goals that we have for society. How do you think about that? How do you talk about it? I I think real estate is so critical. Um, You know, some of these goals are very challenging and I think neither the public sector or the private sector can do it alone. So I think it's really critical that we work together as a society on you know some of these some of these efforts, buildings for example are responsible for 40% of the carbon emissions, so they really have to be part of the solution. When we think about resilience as well, you know solving like protecting some of our coastal areas, they're going to require public and private partnerships. Cities can't do it alone. So I think you know I'm passionate about working with large real estate portfolios because I think in terms of scale we can make really positive and large impact. Um, right now, many of our clients have made net zero commitments and they're aligning their goals with UN Sustainable Development Goals. And, um, you know, it's, although some of the commitments are by 2050, I think absolutely we don't have 30 years to get there. We're really, we, we have to achieve impact in the next 10 years. So we're working with them to be able to accomplish, for example, their net zero goals in the next 10 years as quickly as possible. Um, I think right now, too, is, uh, you know, the time for incremental action is over, where before we say, okay, yeah, I'm going to take 10 years to reduce my energy consumption and water and carbon emissions. um, And it's like a 20% reduction over a 10 year period. I mean, that doesn't cut it anymore. So like, we really need to make um, the scale of the challenges that we face are so massive. And uh, we really need to equip ourselves with tools to like, you know, work with organizations in a holistic and integrated way to collaborate with other organizations. We're seeing those visible shifts in terms of finance sector, low, low carbon economy is growing. And, you know, like focusing on decarbonization, our buildings absolutely need to prepare for that to, to electrify, to, to, to work, you know, with the public sector to kind of build that infrastructure. So I think that, you know, to meet these challenges, commercial real estate firms really need to position themselves for success um, and uh, to to be able to demonstrate long-term resiliency, to be able to create long-term values, to be able to demonstrate to investors, right? That, they, that they're planning for those things. So um, I think they, they really need to be able to focus, they need to be focusing on ESG to address climate risks, to address, you know, health risks, like what's happening with the pandemic. So I think it's just important to, to work together to, to meet those, those demands that we collectively face. Yeah, absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Um, and, and you mentioned uh, investors. And I wanted to ask you, because I feel like I've been hearing this anecdotally, but you would be the person who would be hearing it most, you know, in an official or unofficial sense, I think that I know, like, has the pace picked up in the, in recent years? Is, does it feel like there's more pressure on your clients than there used to be um, you know, and how are they dealing with that pressure if it is in fact increasing? Oh my gosh, absolutely. I think like before the pressure was more like in public firms, 
Um, but now I think even private firms, even small firms as they're raising capital to be able to grow, the investors like, well, are you reporting to Grasp? What's your ESG program? Because, you know, these, the, the ESG firms are outperforming the market. There's a lot of, you know, evidence showing that. And so investors absolutely are asking about it. And I think that's one of the reasons we're growing. It's the companies that haven't taken steps to, you know, to develop an ESG program are now under a lot of pressure from investors to really catch up and, and do something about it. Um, and, you know, the requests are like, so we, we help our clients answer a lot of like RFP from investors, due diligence questionnaires, and, you know, they're asking also um, more specific data. Like, are you reporting to grads? Do you have a net zero target? It's like, you know, helping, like asking if they're dealing with, you know, addressing those very pressing things. I mean, the there's there's so yeah, there's a lot of pressure. I think the conversions of crisis in 2020 are also like really giving us a strong signal that companies need to address some of these things. So, and I think you know, connection between climate change, extreme weather, uh, the pandemic, um, that also like just give just the things that we're facing right now. But I also believe that the building industry is very uniquely positioned to make a substantial impact, uh, especially in our decarbonization efforts. And, you know, as a result, many of these companies are expanding the ESG commitments. We're we're seeing this firsthand. Even our existing clients, they're adding new funds that they were, you know, like if they're doing like sustainability programs for a core fund, they're now expanding to their entire organization. And I think that's also part of the demand for growth right now is like really putting that across the the organization. So I think for us, we're trying to grow organically, but it's still, it's a very exciting time in our industry and it it shows how important, you know, ESG work is. Um, I think even for, you know, grasp stats right now, because these needs are becoming there's bigger demand and there, you know, you have to align with all these different ESG frameworks. A lot of like majority of grass participants, for example, are using external consultants over like 79% of them compared to like less than 30% in 2012. Um, so I think it's good that there's firms out there like ours that can help those companies achieve these results faster. That's great to hear, um, Danielle. I mean, I'm, I'm really interested in what it looks like, sort of the details of as the ESG efforts are sort of maturing, what the complexion of that really looks like. Because I feel like there's a lot of discussion too about um, how much more could be done and what, what, more, what new advances could be made. Um, I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but I recently read Rebecca Henderson's book, Reimagining Capitalism in a World on Fire. And there's a point in there where she is talking about how the ESG, I mean, ESG doesn't really cure the short-termism that is really embedded into our, into capitalism and into the markets of today, which I think is an, you know, sort of a persistent problem. Um, And then there recently, you and I were even discussing a piece that Amon Singh wrote for GreenBiz about how ESG reporting has become increasingly investor grade and siloed. And I wondered if you could comment a little bit um, here on that. Yeah, I think we're in terms of investor grade. Um, yeah, we're seeing a, a big shift in the industry toward more like very fa- like material data that's you know materially financial to investors, verifiable data with actionable ESG programs. Um, I think it's they're asking us to you know make sure we're aligning with core frameworks to, to 
a lot of acronyms here like SASB, the Sustainability Account Standards Board, CCFD, which is Task Force for Financial Disclosures, Global um, uh, GRI, which is the Global Reporting Initiative um, for your NUSG reports, um, which that's becoming a best practice among our clients when they're creating reports. And so um, that, that also really helps us to have a unified language for reporting so that you're not like trying to greenwash this so that you're really reporting meaningful data. We're also putting a bigger focus and that's not just us on, on, on not only increasing data coverage, but in terms of data quality and doing third party data verification. So yeah, I think there's a bigger push for just like SASB, for example, just like the SEC regulates financial disclosures, now we're creating the conditional oversight and for for sustainability disclosure. So we're going to continue to see that more standardization in the industry. GRES, for example, really is becoming an industry standard and best practice. We have over 60% of the US market reporting, like over 70% of the European market reporting. So that's becoming like an expectation from investors. Like, are you reporting? What's your score? You know, and so we're, I think we're going to continue to see those trends. And especially as we see more of those reports showing that, you know, the ESG funds are outperforming, not only on a short-term basis, but on a long-term basis as well. And I, in terms of like siloed, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think that we, you know, ESG is becoming more broad and becoming more holistically integrated on organizations to like address all departments and not just be, so I think it's covering so many things from like environmental social governance. And um, I think it's like, yeah, covering more ground um, than more, more than it used to do every year. We're kind of addressing more and more issues. Right. I want to shift gears just a little bit, um, Danielle, because I know you also teach sustainable real estate and I'm given everything else that's on your plate. I want I'd love to hear a little bit about why you make time for that and why you think that's important. Yeah. Um, it's definitely challenging finding time to teach, but I find it so rewarding. And I think it's so important that, you know, to have the opportunity to influence and, and guide, uh, you know, come upcoming generations of professionals and introduce them to sustainable real estate. Um, I also like even for teaching master students, I see a lot of students that, you know, coming to master's degree and have no kind of understanding of sustainability or climate change or that humans have something to do with it. So I also feel like we have such long ways to go in terms of our education systems and making sure that kids coming out of college have a basic understanding of sustainability and climate change. And um, so um, I think it's really critical and I'm very grateful for the opportunity to do it. For me, it's, it's such a rewarding and fulfilling experience to kind of see, like I remember one of my students that came in, he was a total climate skeptic and he would question everything. And at the end, he wanted to work for Verdani and said that he wanted to pursue a career in sustainability. And to me, that was just very rewarding. Um, I also, I think in the past, this month, I have like over eight like speaking engagements. I spoke at Cornell this week to a group of 60 students. And I just felt to me, it's just so, so rewarding. I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be able to influence uh, the next generation. And I think a lot more of us can do. I think like it's really important to give back and to be able to um, share these with, with the next generation that's going to help solve our mess. <laughs> 
Well, it's great that you do it. And I think, I mean, and it's wonderful that you can see that kind of impact um, on students, um, like the student that you mentioned. But I think it's terrific that you stay involved um, with that next generation and the communication to that generation. It's so important right now. Um, you also have a nonprofit arm to your enterprise that I mentioned in your bio. Um, and could you talk a little bit about why you started that and what the goals are? Yes, absolutely. I think, you know, especially teaching, I have to, you know, look at so many stats and stay abreast with kind of what's happening in the industry. And I, you know, remember, like, I mean, we're already kind of running out of time in terms of like our carbon budget. And so um, I started Vibe actually a day after the last presidential election, because I just felt like we wouldn't see a lot of action uh, from the federal government on a, such an important issue. And I, I really feel like we're really running out of time to, to stop some of the irreversible impacts from climate change. And I feel like I needed to do something about it. And we have so many tools and resources that we create for our, our paying clients. And I felt like we could do something about to impact the industry at large um, on, on a global scale and share some of these resources and lessons learned to be able to have a broader impact. So, um, you know, we, we founded Verdani Institute for the Built Environment Vibe with really a commitment to make the building sector a solution for our climate change, um, you know, problems in the, to, to really focus on expediting our low carbon, healthier and more resilient uh, built environment. And we have a lot of really, really exciting projects that we're working on. I think this year I'm very focused on um, two books that we're hoping to launch. Um, but we're focusing, I think, some four areas for, you know, it's education is a big part of it, like sustainable properties, resiliency, risk management, education, research and collaborations are some some key areas that we are we're focusing on with uh, with Vibe. That's great. Well, my next question was going to be is if there's a, a specific project that you're working on right now that you want listeners to know about. Maybe it's one of those books that you were mentioning or something else. Yeah, I yeah, there is. Um, yeah, so I'm focusing on two books this year. Um, one is our sustainable real estate book. I, I teach and, you know, we wanted to have, uh, so that's going to be like, we hope to be like a Bible of sustainability, a 500 page book um, with, you know, that um, we want to be like, a, you know, if you have a sustainability, sustainable real estate class that has a book and people will be able to buy uh, different chapters of it. There are going to be lectures associated with each chapter, and we hope to translate that to a lot of languages. But a project that I'm really, really excited about is our Climate Heroes book. Um, that's a project that I started back in 2016 with my kids, and I was trying to explain climate change to them. But it's really a book to give hope and to educate children about climate change, about, but also most importantly, about solutions that we can uh, leverage to heal our planet and how, you know, for us to also realize that there's so much we can do if like we work together. So we are launching the Climate Heroes book on Earth Day. So we're kind of racing to get everything ready for it. Uh, and we're going to have a Climate Heroes hashtag and, and try to showcase, you know, efforts that kids from all over the world are doing to kind of help, you know, by clean up the planet and I'm really excited about that book and um, I can't wait to, to get it out on Earth Day and to be able to kind of spread our message of hope and um, inspire other people to be part of the solution and help 
clean up all the mess that we've made so we can have a better future. That is super cool, Danielle, and congratulations. I, I, I remember that feeling of trying to get things out by Earth Day, and I'm now remembering that this <laughs> is that time of year where everybody's like, all right, Earth Day's coming up. What are we doing? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, congratulations. That, that's, that's awesome. Okay. Well, so I, I want to now kind of zoom out even further and talk to you a little bit about the industry and um, and just our community, I guess, our professional community and how you feel that we're doing. So the first question I like to ask people, um, that we like to ask people in this realm is about this identity of being a part of an industry and also being a part of a movement. Do you think that you are a part of a movement or just the industry? And sort of how do you, how do you think about that question for yourself? I see myself obviously as a part of, you know, the real estate industry and the sustain, you know, sustainability community. But I, I definitely do see myself also as part of a movement that is really working hard to transform the real estate industry and how we do business and to be able to have a positive impact. But I also feel like, you know, what started as a movement is also like, you know, growing to a more mature, you know, uh, industry that's also uh, taking some of these challenges more seriously. And so I think, you know, right now it's no longer about choosing green over profitability. They're intrinsically linked. And so the companies that are thinking long-term, that are thinking about things, right, that can benefit, that have like a environmental, social, and economic impact, when those things are aligned, you know, I think everybody benefits from that. So, you know, I think sustainability, resiliency, survivability, they they all um, kind of depend on our ability to correct course and operate within natural limits and in more harmony with the environment. So I think that the green building industry is such an important and powerful player in this movement and this conversation as we reshape and redesign the way we think about buildings and the way we live our lives. So I'm very honored to be part of this movement and, um, to me, it's not like, it's not a, mar- you know, it's not a, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, it's a long-term mm-hmm. thing. And, you know, we have to just keep going. To me, I, I definitely see myself in old age, you know, when I see this, like, uh, older environmental activists, and I, I definitely see that myself doing this. And so my last days, I'm going to keep doing whatever I can to, <laughs> to influence the industry and, and have a, a more positive impact in helping solve our biggest, biggest challenges. Yeah, I love that. Well, we we feel very honored to get to be in the movement with you. So thank you. That's that's a great. Uh, it's a, it's a great way of thinking about it. Um, all right. Well, let's talk about the areas that you think that our movement is doing well. Where do you think we've made the most progress? And then on the flip side, where do you think we haven't made enough progress? Based on you know what. You've seen, you've been you've been at it for a while. So thinking a little bit back to when you started and getting to today, like what have we done well? What have we not done well? Yeah, um, I think that you know before it was about having a policy, having a plan, and right now you know we're focusing about performance and really measurable results. So I I you know I think that that's a lot of progress on that. Because, you know, from moving to from planning to mitigating to actually reporting on results, 
um, you know, things focusing on like high impact solutions and um, that, you know, and, and, and solutions that not only generate competitive financial returns for investors, but they also help address some of society's biggest challenges, including climate change, pandemic, health and well-being, diversity, inclusion, social justice. You know, I definitely obviously see a lot of progress and especially because of the challenges we're facing, you know, like the trifecta, we say, mentioning resiliency, health, um, diversity, equity, they're growing trends. Um, so I think those are really important. Um, I also see the regulatory environment getting more and more aggressive, you know, like Europe, like creating tax, taxonomy, SFDR. There's so many new regulatory requirements coming in that are requiring, you know, the real estate industry to think a lot deeper about that. We're seeing a lot of net zero commitments from, you know, countries around the world from real estate portfolios. And we hope that's not just greenwash, right? We personally, we're going to help our clients achieve this as quickly as possible. We definitely don't have, you know, 30 years um, to to achieve those things. It's like, you know, like Greta Thunberg said at the last uh, Davos conference, it's like, it's like your house is on fire and you're going to wait 30 years to call the fire department. Um, you need to, we need to address this now and urgently. So I like to see at least the companies that are making those net zero commitments. Also, growing participation on companies that are, you know, participating on grads and other ESG best benchmarks because that helps them like not only implement those things but share results and track it. And I think in putting a focus on performance, I think that you know in terms of lack of progress, there's a lot of companies. Um, I think a few years ago, I mean we were still like the companies that were focusing on ESG were still like 40% of the market. So we still have a long ways to go to make sure that, you know, the majority of the real estate industry is taking steps to address this. I know it's harder for the kind of class B and C properties. Um, and, and there's there needs to be financial in incentives as well, but there's still like, we need to be able to reach you know, the, the companies, the buildings that don't necessarily have the money to hire a director of sustainability. And I think that's a combination also from a regulatory perspective, but providing incentives, there's still a lot of ground that we have to cover and we do need as many of us to be part of the solution. So I do see a lot of progress in terms of moving to more, you know, performance-based actionable impacts, but we still have uh, a long ways to go but making a lot of progress and moving faster and reaching scale faster, which is very, you know, it gives me hope and yeah. uh, to yeah. keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it gives me hope as well. And I, I think you're right to point out this issue of, of class B and C buildings. And I'm looking forward to the next phase for our movement where we treat them not as of secondary importance, but really, put them in the spotlight and figure out what they need and have that be, you know, sort of approach it less from like that trickle down approach of saying, we'll, we'll figure it out for class A buildings and then we can see yes. we'll kind of do what they can, you know, but like really put putting them uh, up front and trying to figure out what works there. So I totally agree with you on that point. I think, I think that's a, that's a big next step for us. Um, all right. Well, we are almost out of time and we have one last question we want to ask you, which is who you're most inspired by these days. It can be anyone uh, in your life or anyone 
could even be people that are not alive anymore, but who's giving you inspiration? I have so many people that inspire me from, you know, I think Christina Figueres, I have a lot of respect for her and her work to steer award leaders to reach the Paris Agreement in 2015. She also was very successful in shedding light on the gender dimension of climate change, but also very inspired by Greta. She, you know, the, you know, I think her impact in terms of demanding real action and catalyzing waves of activism throughout the world are just remarkable. And so there's so many, yeah, there's just so many, so many women that I, or a man that I admire that are making an impact. Um, but I think that seeing just the impact that they can make that gives me a lot of hope and motivates me. I, so that's really, really exciting to see a lot of people kind of taking leadership and inspiring others to address some, you know, these, these incredible challenges that we, we face. Well, I mean, we can tell that you are taking a lot of leadership and putting a lot of energy into doing this yourself. It's kind of dizzying to understand all the stuff that you're up to these days. So it's, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear that, uh, that, there, that you also, that, that we all have people that inspire us to, to get up and do the work every day. And um, hopefully we inspire each other. I'm sure you inspire a lot of people. So thank you for for being the leader that you are, for taking on so many things, um, and for doing it in such a um, in in such a feminist way, it's really awesome. And thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me today. Yeah, there's so many incredible women that you have interviewed. So I'm I'm very honored to to be here, and I'm a huge fan of both of you. Um, and so I'm very grateful for the opportunity to to speak with you today and to share a little bit of my about my passion too create a more sustainable, you know, built environment and help us, you know, create a more sustainable and thriving future for all of us. Uh, so thank you so much for, for having me today. Yeah, I'm glad we got to have you. Such, you're, you have such an amazing story. It's been super fun. Uh, and yeah, Kira, thanks for being here with me as always. It's a pleasure to have you. My pleasure. <laughs> Um, and yeah, that's it for us this week on Women in Sustainability Design the Future. Thanks again to Acuity for hosting and to you all, our listeners. Please leave us a review on Apple. It really matters. It helps people find us. Stay safe and we'll see you next week.